Good morning, folks. Uh, welcome here this morning. Uh, welcome to you this morning. I, I um, looked around this morning and kind of leading into this into this Sunday, very aware, um, uh, middle Sunday of holidays, uh, spring holidays where the weather's great outside, two finals the day before, tonight we're leading, tonight we've got a sailor night, we had a women's event yesterday. The Lord told me, you guys are really going to heaven. For whoever came, you guys, there's a special deal, it's all done, it's all sorted, you guys are definitely the true believers going to heaven. No, um, I, I'm grateful that you're here this morning. I'm going to jump into, um, this is how sort of um, focused I am on this message uh, this morning. I sent out a bit of a text during the week to say, look, I'm going to talk about some things, going to, kind of going to go there a little in terms of uh, things going on uh, in our nation, part of our series. But so focused and so keen am I that I am not even going to mention either of the games last night, apart from going, yay, we won. Um, and now we're moving on. We have been in this series that we've been doing uh, for a while now called Through the Noise, where, um, and we're, as it says there, following Jesus into challenging places. It's really been, a f um, part of this has sort of arisen out of our sense of uh, speaking to this series has risen out of, I guess, a couple of threads that have been going through our teaching all year. But even um, more deeply than that, um, over the last year in particular, and you might recall, hang on, let me turn this on. Um, we did a, a project that went over about a year, probably a little bit longer, and many of you were had the opportunity, many of you were involved, lots of people had the opportunity to be involved in what we call Cornerstone Distinctives. It was a way of trying to, um, distill, collect these values, these ideas that we have believed have always been very central to what God has done in us and through us and we want to even more so into the future kind of carry with us. It's that sense of, hey, we recognise God's fingerprints in these ways and we want to be serious about it and kind of collect, uh, distill those into the future. And so we've got these five things Jesus following, who was Connors? We're Jesus following, we're spirit-filled, we're missional, we're family, we're wholehearted. In this project, we intentionally um, wanted to communicate these things that allowed for a level of kind of um, complexity or tension to recognise that actually it seems like the hardest thing to do in the world, the modern Western world at the moment, is to believe that two things can be true at the same time. We just increasingly, have you noticed that the, the forces and spirit of this age says only one thing can be true at any time. If someone believes one thing that's different or opposed, then they believe differently. Well, we're trying to say, well, actually, life's a bit more complex than that. Uh, we believe more than one. And actually, often balance can be found in believing a number of things that may appear to be attention, holding on to them at the same time. And so, with this idea of Jesus following, we recognise there's a simplicity and a complexity to following Jesus. And really, you'll see the, the essence of this series and the way in which we've even crafted what we've called it through the noise, is recognising that if you are going to be serious, and I want to stress that word this morning, if you're going to be serious about following Jesus and allowing Jesus to be the, the primary model and shaper of your life, 
then there's something wonderfully simple about that and there's something very complex about that. And we want to name that and engage that. And, and this series has been about this is what that looks like when we go into the world. Um, so we, we talked about in these distinctives, you hopefully have heard me talk about these before, there's a simplicity, a clarity and a strength in knowing ourselves as followers of Jesus. Identity. What is your identity? You've got lots of identities. I've got lots of identities. What are the identities that you are going to shape your life around? I want to humbly but clearly and with the full backing of Scripture suggest that the primary identity you should shape yourself around is that you are a follower of Jesus. There's very few of my identities that I have that will travel with me into eternity. Follower of Jesus is a primary one. Father of Daisy, Micah and Jonah is the other and there's not too many others that actually carry over into eternity because they're calls. So that should be prime for us to shape ourselves and understand ourselves as followers of Jesus. And here's where we get the through the noise thing. Above and through the no life's noise, he leads us. It's noisy out there, right? There's lots of ideas. And it seems like people, not only, you know, increasingly the world is noisy, the, the competition for ideas and identities and what's right and what's in and what's out and how you should shape your life. It's noisy. The simplicity of saying you're a follower of Jesus cuts through that and says, in all things, I'm just trying to figure out what would it look like to actually be faithful, a faithful follower of Jesus. And there's a simplicity to that. It like cuts through. What should I, what should I believe about all the? Well, what do you think Jesus thinks? There's a simplicity there. Um, we talk about it, and I love the language. This is not my language. I think Liz wrote this originally, but I love when she wrote it. When modern times can feel a bit like a bushwalk without a map, we're refreshed when we accept his compass and living water, the simple invitation to follow, come follow me. There's a simplicity there. And then there's a complexity. Because if you're going to be serious about that, guess where he leads you? into the world we're going to sort of discuss that today and so the complexity is we walk we walk with Jesus in an urban 21st century moment in history that's us this is again talking about cornerstone not every church and believer lives in urban context um, even in a modern context in that sense but we do here at cornerstone we walk with Jesus in an urban 21st century context 21st century moment in history so identity, politics, sexuality, sustainability, technology, worldviews are all points of essential and careful connection. We are not putting our head in the sand. So these are the noises. These are the things that shape. And Jesus has got something to say. And Jesus' followers who are living faithful, maybe even less than having something to say, we've got something to do, right? We've got something to live. And then maybe if we live that faithfully, we can say something. Sometimes we get that around the wrong way. And we are adding to noise. But actually following Jesus means that having these things that are around identity and politics and sexuality, and all these, all these things, they're complex, but we're not sticking our head in the sand. They may be tricky to navigate, but so worth the effort as we look up and love out. A couple of weeks ago, if you're following the series, I really hope you do, because there has been some cracker sermons um, and they're all on the website if you want to go and check out. But a couple of weeks ago, when Josh was talking, he spoke about how, it, in, when we're engaging with people, it's so important 
when we're sort of navigating through these that we make sure love is turned up. It's not that we turn down the strength of our convictions, but actually our interaction in the world, like the tone is different when the love dial is turned up, when we're concerned and caring about the person across from us or that we're sharing space. That's the idea of looking up and looking out. So today, I want to, um, I want to, I'm going to pass through and, and refer to this conversation that's leading up to the referendum that we're going to have around the voice to Parliament. I have written a letter here that I'm going to invite you to take home, where I'll be in it a little bit more specific. Now, I'm going to do the hardest of all things, which is to not at all to to preach this sermon and try not to let you know what I'm how I'm going to vote. I think a lot of you, if you paid attention, might not be surprised. But that's I'm I'm not so much concerned about how you, about how specifically you're going to vote. That is genuinely between you and God. I speak about it in here. There's a deep conviction that I have as a senior pastor to not use the pulpit or my position to influence your agenda. I do feel there's a responsibility for us to talk about how we think and shape. And because of the, the particular um, topic of this referendum it's and um, being around reconciliation and First Nations people... Um, I've had a bit of a, I've had more than a bit of an interest for quite a while, and so I've been conversations around these topics for with Christians and non-Christians for quite a long period of time. And what's concerned me, and it's been amplified as we move towards October 14, is again the kind of conversations we're having. In this letter, I say there are good and bad ways to vote yes, and there are good and bad ways. To vote no and maybe Jesus is just as concerned with how we do that and that's what I want to talk now I'm saying that up front it's going to be up to you to feel like I'm just saying that I'm really just wanting to you know influence you subtly I'm going to leave that with you to check my motives there I'm going to give you plenty of opportunity because I am on a razor thin wire and I might stumble at times because I'm very passionate. I'm going to leave that up to you guys. I'm going to give you such great opportunity for you to be cranky at me. And I'm going to leave that with you guys to kind of go away and decide whether you want to come and talk to me about that or stay cranky. One of those things is more biblical than the other. I'll leave it there. You can go away and be cranky and let it hit. And we, you, you, know, you don't have to come and talk to me about it. But if something gets caught in you, then let's talk. Let's talk, um, particularly if you feel like I've overstepped a mark here. I want to kick, kick off actually from, uh, again, where Josh, a couple of weeks ago in his sermon, he, he um, spoke about first, he spoke from 1 Corinthians 7. And as he did that, I went, oh, this is such a great passage. And, and I was, you know, to, to, to leap off, to, to be as like the ground zero the biblical basis for how we think, but not so much about the referendum. That really comes a bit later. Oh, by the way, I was going to say, oh, I'm, this is one of those times where, as a pastor, something's going on in the nation that f affords me, us, the opportunity to talk about something that's always true. For good or for bad, and it's probably a bit of both, come October 15th, there's a, there's a whole lot of conversations we're not going to have anymore. 
for good and for bad. And some of that, it'll settle down. I want to talk about the stuff that's always true, that's not about the referendum, that's shaping for us as believers. And so in, in this little sliver of time, there's like a context where we can and talk about something and again, allow Jesus to shape us, that's my prayer, towards something that's always important, always true. So that's, and, and I feel like I've had this modelled well for me. Charles is, is one, I think Josh does this well, the, the best preachers and teachers in my life have always been able to kind of go, what, what's going on in the national agenda? And here's something that's always true. Here's something that's always important. So that's partly why I like, I'm going to take an opportunity and again, risk it's safer for me to not say anything. It, much safer in some ways, but not necessarily more right. In fact, I'm sure it's not more, more right. That's why I'm speaking in this morning. Um, let's go from Corinthians. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is the time is short. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, which is a very noisy church. The reason why we have the books of Corinthians is that there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things around sexuality, identity, uh, around sort of even um, religious sort of politics and people coming from this worldview and into that worldview. It's a very noisy church. And, it's a, and so he's speaking into this and pointing people towards Jesus. And so there are contexts in each of this, in particular in Corinthians 7. The context he's mostly talking about is actually marriage and, and relationship between men and women and but in in talking about this there's something deeper and truer that uh that he's sort of pointing to or the spirit is saying um what i mean is that the time is short from now on those who have wives should live as though they do not this is really dangerous because uh, i'm taking this out of context and so men um and actually interestingly even here paul says does this really interesting thing little side attack Paul does this really interesting thing when he starts talking about his his views about he says look I'm going to tell you a few things that are not necessarily from the Lord and so biblical scholars have said we probably should be a little careful we we believe I believe scripture is inspired by the spirit it's the word of God all of the things that are evangelical distinctives when the writer himself and scholars are saying when the writer himself says let me tell you a few ideas I've got that are not necessarily from God. We, it should mean we should be careful about how we over-prescribe some of these passages. So that's particularly living as though you don't have a wife, particularly that bit right here, right now. Okay, there's a context. Um, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if that was not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for the world in its present form is passing away. The language is a little tri tricky as it gets rendered from the original language into English. It's a little tricky for us. But what we took from that, and Josh pointed this out, first of all, when he prefaces it by saying, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is the time is short. He's saying the word there, the Greek word, is not about it's, it's 12 o'clock. He's saying the times we live in. The nature of the world we live in is short. And pointing to the fact that actually if you're a follower of Jesus, then you've entered into this relationship with time where you now have a view of eternity. That should change everything about how you live and how you think. The, what, what it means to have your eternal um, destiny secured, 
what it means to trust Jesus as your provider in all things, once you've signed up for that, it should change everything. Um, to the point where Josh made this statement that I love. Followers of Jesus should inhabit place and time differently. The way you come at things. And so that's when he's saying back here, um, it's maybe a little clearer as he draws it out. Um, from now on, those, um, those who buy something should act as if it's not theirs to keep. Those who use things of the world, your relationship with material things should be changed by the fact that you've got this bigger, broader kingdom values rules. So that's the essence of what he's saying. You picked that up, he's saying, this should change everything fundamentally to the point where you move through the world differently. The way you make decisions are different, is fundamentally different. And I think this is so important. I remember, again, Charles, I'll name check Charles, he years ago did this thing that um, sometimes Jesus is referred to as the plumb line, which um, tradies here will know. Am I right here, uh, Jamie? The plumb line, you have a weight on the end and you drop a string down and that's how you know your brick wall's going up straight. That's a plumb line. Jesus is a plumb line for reality, for what is right. But culture always bends away. And it kind of seems like we're living through a cultural moment where it's bending away from the values of Jesus that we would say are right and good and about human flourishing really quickly. Paul's saying, the plumb line is Jesus. And I remember Charles, again, doing this thing, drawing picture, straight down, bends away. Is your view of following Jesus just being a little bit less bad than the world? But actually your trajectory is just to continue to bend away. But you swear a little bit less. You give a little bit more. You dance a little bit less or whatever. Insert whatever you think is in there or dance a little bit more. But this is, Paul is saying, don't just think that because you're a little bit less good or a little bit better than the world, that that's the same as moving through place and time differently. One of the things, let me say it, one of the things that's concerned me, genuinely concerned, I mentioned here in this letter, is that the conversations I've been having for quite some time, particularly with believers, it doesn't sound like at times when I ask, it's like that it's sort of ground zero is what Jesus thinks. Because again, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of things. And again, this is with people, yes and no. Hear me. My encouragement in this letter to everybody, if it's a pastoral letter, is to actually to have two kinds of conversations that actually a real conversation with real people, with people who think, one with someone who thinks the opposite of you, who you think is wise and caring. That's really, imp that conversation with someone who you suspect is going to vote differently, but you believe them to be wise and caring, the most powerful question you could ask is, what, why do you do that? And then just, shh, then just listen. And see what that does to what you think. You might hear some things. Or you might go, yeah, okay, well, that's reasonable. But I still think, you know, I still think what I think. I also encourage you to have a conversation with a First Nations person. Because that is the topic. That is, it does have a, this, this issue does have a specific focus. And in fact, it's First Nations leaders are asking the country something. So the very least we can do is to have a real conversation and I absolutely you know, some of you 
maybe all of you are going, yeah, but actually there's a huge range of opinions within... That's really true. But just go and have a conversation. Because I've been concerned by the amount of strong ideas with very little conversation. But then also the third thing that I'm encouraging us to do is to be able to frame, and this is, this is really what I'm talking about here this morning, being able to frame your view. And this is not just about, this is in all things. From your fellowship of Jesus. So there's lots of things around um, understanding reconciliation and models of reconciliation, about the nature of the constitution and around our view of history. All of those things are important. I encourage you to be engaged. But that shouldn't be, none of of those things should be ground zero for you if, if we are being framed by following Jesus. If we're going to inhabit place and time differently, then Paul is saying, well, actually, you should make decisions differently as well. Now, so my encouragement to you there is, it may, it may not even change the way you vote. It may not change your view at all. But what it will do is ground it in something that we're meant to be grounded in. So, again, that's the sort of the challenge for both sides. It concerns me how much conversation there is around issues that are clearly important, but not of ultimate importance for believers. What is it? What are, what are the parables of Jesus that shape your view? What are the passages or the, the, the teaching of the, in, in the prophets in the Old Testament that shape your view? It's like because of this stuff, because God is like this, this is why I'm voting. That is the way we're meant to move through space and time, following Jesus in that. That's what it is to be, when we say the, the simplicity but the complexity. I'm not saying it's easy. I've had plenty of conversations with friends and, uh, and colleagues who will vote either side. It's like I have much, sometimes I've had much better edifying conversations with someone who feel, uh, thinks differently but grounds it in Jesus than I've had with people who agree with me, but it's, they're really just following an argument or regurgitating, or it feels like to me, I might be unkind, regurgitating an argument that they've heard that's out in the world. Does that make sense? We're called to live differently, to move through place and time differently. This... Um, uh, Paul is really echoing... Or um, he is, there's, there's an echo of, of something critical in the life of Jesus in what Paul is saying here. And it's this, the night before Jesus, the night Jesus was arrested, immediately after the Last Supper, he goes to a garden and he prays. And it is, I'm always, if you've been in this church, you've heard me preach from this or reference this because I find it one of the most fascinating, powerful passages in scripture that right before this pivotal moment in human history we get an insight straight into what does Jesus pray literally what is on his heart at this time when he's come from this supper and it's you can imagine the, the it's been good the Passover meal it's been good food and good wine and you know and and he's just full of love you know when you're driving home from a time with your friends or your family going Oh, man, I love those guys. You know, it, that's so human to have that time of fellowship, of hospitality. And go, 
Oh man, they're so they're so good. What comes out in that? Jesus is full of that, but he's also aware. I'm aware of what's about to happen, where I'm leaving these people who love, and so the combination of these two great forces, his humanity and his divinity. I know it's all lands in Octo- in uh, in John 17. What is important? Interestingly, he starts again with a consciousness of time. He says, "Father." The hour has come. It's time. What does he pray when he realises a consciousness of time? I'll race through this. He says, I've given them the word, your word, and the word has hated them, for they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. This blows my mind. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. They are not of the world. Followers are meant to move differently through space and time. They're not the same. He's, and he says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He says, I know. I've, I've spent three years living with these guys. They've, said, they've been with me in all of the, the parables, the Sermon on the Mount. We've talked about it afterwards. They've seen me with the woman at the well. They've been there with, with uh, the w- woman caught in adultery. Oh, they've seen all of this. They get it. They're on board. Lord, these, they, they get it. But I know what that's going to mean for them. What do we do? Whatever you do, don't take them out of the world. It's not, it's not right to take them out. No, no holy huddles or sex or kind of... No, no, no. They're to be in the world. Think of all this teaching about being light and salt. But protect them. So he's saying, no, 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 they're to be engaged in the world. And then he says, my prayer is not for them. I also pray for those who will, believe in, who, who will believe in me through their message. He's praying for you and me. Do you get this? He's looking down through time and he's praying for you and me. And he's saying it's going to be same, the same for them. If they're serious, they're going to move through the world differently and the world's going to hate them. They're going to need to have courage. They're going to need to have conviction. If they're serious, and that's going to be difficult. It's going to be not just difficult in the world, but it's going to be difficult in the church. And thank you, Linda, for leading us this morning and hearing from God. It was like you're doing all the praying for unity, because that was his other prayer. So the two things Jesus, at the most pivotal time, decides to pray for us is our relationship with the world that it will be marked by faithfulness to the values of the kingdom without separation or exclusivity. Don't take them out of the world. Send them into the world. But they'd be faithful. People would be able to tell they're making their decisions based on kingdom principles, not getting sucked into the way the world thinks. But that's going to be difficult. That's going to tear them apart as well. So he prays for our relationship with each other. That it would be marked by an uncommon unity that make the world, that would make the world notice. This is how they will know that you're my disciples. The way you love one another. Am I, is it just me? Or when we get it wrong, is it these two things? Like, is not 95% of where we feel like the challenge is in these two areas. Jesus knew 
If you're going to be faithful, if you're going to be faithful and really shape yourself according to the plumb line, then you're always going to have to contend for unity in the body and you're always going to have this division, this push-pull between we're engaged in the world but we're not of the world. Oh, the temptation to just stick my head in the sand. Anytime there's conversations around reconciliation in the nation because it's so divisive, such strong opinions. And regularly, and again, I'm right on the edge here, regularly I've I've had conversations with people talk to me about reasons why they're voting and what they see. And I kind of feel like, yeah, that's really important. And if I wasn't a Christian, I'd probably... That would probably shape the way I voted. But I think there's some even more important things, even some more deeper things that are true. And, then, you know, that, again, there's a, a whole conversation there. I'll get the band to come up. This has been another theme right through the year about trellises and how there's this thing, this cooperation between heaven and earth where God does all of the good stuff, all of the you know his work in our life through scripture there's a metaphor of planting seeds and it growing and being the vine and that's all God's work but it's very clear um, as though sometimes it sounds so spiritual that we all just we've got not when God really turns up we've got nothing to do we over no that's that's not scripture we cooperate with God the the things and the habits and the decisions and the ideas we carry build like a trellis so we talked about how Sunday when we gather together, that's like a trellis that we build together that shapes our congregation a certain way. Why do we do some things and not other things? Well, we make some decisions about how it's going to shape. The ideas, the way you make decisions right across your life, but particularly, well, the particular context of when we come to things like this referendum or politics or making that's like a trellis and sometimes the attitudes that shape our life are like Jesus-y or Jesus-ish rather than and, and sometimes the things that grow on the outside like the vine looks so good and healthy you can't recognize it's difficult for us to recognize the framework that's behind it and this is why again my encouragement to all of us in all things but this is a good exercise at the moment for us to reflect on what are the what is shaping my views can I find and locate and ground them in scripture or are they in Jesus-y ideas and have conversations with people who'll help you do this and reflect on that this is not a um, this is an encouragement in a direction it's not a it's not a rebuke it's an encouragement in this direction but recognize if we don't even recognize that we've that we carry views that could shape us in a certain direction that are not necessarily found in scripture then we are like we are just um, what's the word we're, it's not good it's not good as we come to the cross this morning I'm taken by how sh- I love the way Sharon often tells those stories and just finishes with I wonder questions and I, just this morning I thought that's good preaching so often we over explain things 
I wonder. I wonder. I wonder what you wonder about those things. I wonder what, how you think the intersection of your life and what's shaping your life, including a subset including your thoughts on this referendum. Next week I'm going to talk a little bit more deeply about the idea of reconciliation from Scripture. But I wonder. I'm going to come to the cross. We're going to invite you. I'll get the, the people to come. We're going to have a time of worship. We, we leave these times open so that we can kind of wonder before God, reflect before God. Are you moving? Are you moving through space and time fundamentally differently? It's a challenge for me. Believe, believe me, the challenge inward here. Or is it just a bit Jesus-y? The expectation of Scripture is you'll be fundamentally different and recognisable. Your life will be marked by that and marked by unity. I wonder.